Hey everybody, welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast, episode 54. That was me in a little uh, singing bowl, Tibetan singing bowl. It's just me today coming to you in a snowstorm. Got the doves outside. They're eating the bird seed I put out for them and they're singing along. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's daylight savings time, right? We get to uh, turn the clocks ahead and another hour of daylight but here on the East Coast, we're getting basically a nor'easter, pretty kind of serious storm. And we're used to that because the winters are long these days. And um, I'm not complaining because I'm in a country that doesn't have bombs being dropped on me at the moment, you know, and uh, it's been a hard week. And I appreciate all the feedback and all the people listening to the show. I'm glad you enjoyed my friend Kat. I'm going to have her back real soon. And um, you know, let's get into it. A lot of people are starting to talk on Twitter, thankfully, about the connections between Trump and Putin, you know, and all these dictators around the world that were, you know, the people that he and the Republican Party were courting as soon as he came on the political landscape. If you remember in 2015, it sort of seemed like a lark and a joke. You know, he would show up at these debates and he'd make fun of the other Republicans or the moderators. And people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. You know, that clown from TV, you know, is insulting people on a political stage, you know, during a debate. And we hadn't really seen that before. You know, we've had politicians that didn't necessarily have the people's best interest at heart, to put it mildly. Right. But they all spoke as gentlemen. You know, there was a certain decorum and civility in politics that Trump just came along and was like, no, you know, because he's an ignorant fool. You know, he, he, he's he got the IQ of like, you know, a developmentally challenged human. Trump couldn't read as a kid and his family hid it from the world. That's why you've never seen any of his grades. That's why they had to pay people, you know, to take his tests. Obviously, you've heard me talk about how he can't read. You know, he's dyslexic and they never treated it. And there's no shame in that kind of stuff. It's just he's an asshole and his family are assholes and they try to keep it. You know, they try to keep weakness from the forefront. It's the same way they hide their addictions. You know, those kids all have alcohol and drug problems and they were dry when I worked around them. You know, Don Jr. got his ass kicked at the Comedy Cellar in like 2003 for, for laughing too loud at a racial joke and sort of being a jerk. And he ended up sp spilling a bunch of beer on the table next to him. And two guys kicked his ass really kind of bad, but um, you know, and nobody deserves violence, but it was just, you know, it was front page news and Trump called up the owner of the comedy cellar and made him apologize and stuff. But my point is, you know, it was public drunkenness, you know, and that's what what Don Jr. was known for at school. Ivanka got carried out of her wedding drunk like they're they're drunks and he's a drunk and an addict, but they don't treat it. They just brush it under the carpet. Right. I mean, everyone's been seeing he obviously relapsed. Right. Don Jr. apparently went on a trip to Ireland with his brother when his dad was president and he ran up a big tab in a pub and walked out without paying the bill. Those are the Trumps. That's a perfect metaphor for who these people are, you know, and instead of like his family stepping in and sending him back to rehab or something, he goes on a Coke binge that's been like five years running now. And you see him making videos, you know, disintegrating before our eyes and nobody in that family steps in to do a damn thing about it. Right. Because they don't really care about each other and they don't care about 
the normal things that most of humanity cares about in terms of family and having the humility to admit when there's a problem and, and dealing with it. There's no shame in addiction. Obviously, you guys know, you know, I was I spoke at a meeting this morning, you know, like it's the first thing that I deal with. You know, I hit my knees when I wake up in the morning and I'm grateful to have another day to be of service. And ultimately, that's what will free you from, you know, the trials of the mind, so to speak. Right. Addiction is a disease of compulsion and self-centeredness where you're basically thinking about your own problems and your self-centered fear. When that becomes the dominant pattern in your life, you're screwed because you're not really good to anybody and you're as selfish as it can be. And that's the Trump family trait, right? I'm, I'm getting to my point here. That's what I was talking about when I was like, hey, this guy snorts Adderall. It wasn't that he did the substance. If you could do your job and do drugs, more power to you. You know, I worked in the music business, man. <laughs> like I got no problem. If you can do the gig and perform well, whatever it takes, do it. None of my damn business. But if you're in active addiction and you're in self-centered fear and resentment, you're the last guy I want in a leadership position because you're not going to be thinking about anybody but yourself, you know, when it hits the fan, you're going to be thinking about, hey, well, you know, how does this affect me instead of, oh, my God, there's millions of people's lives at risk. Right. And that's how Trump reacted to the pandemic. His initial reaction, you know, as we talked about last week, like he knew it was bad when he talked to Bob Woodward in January before his impeachment was even through, right? But he didn't publicly tell anybody to worry about it, right? He tried to keep a cruise ship offshore with 55 people on it because he didn't want it to bring the numbers up on his watch. And he didn't do a damn thing about it. And his little psychopathic, you know, son-in-law just figured out how can I grift off of this? You know, how can we make money? How can I use this to enrich my position? And that that's where the sort of the evil married with the incompetence, right? Because as I said, in 2015, he was a clown. And it was basically, you know, a media hoax at that point. Jeff Zucker and people at CNN realized they could make a lot of money off of this guy because people were actually watching debates in July, right? <laughs> Instead of hanging out at the beach and enjoying their summers and doing things that most people do, they're watching TV because they wanted to see what this clown was going to do next, right? But when he actually got the nomination, then it got serious, right? Then Putin was like, oh, shit, I got a real chance here. I got a Trojan horse. Send Paul Manafort in, right? The same guy who backed Zelensky's opponent, you know, who worked on behalf of the Russian, you know, appointed president in Ukraine who is imminently corrupt, paid Paul Manafort $12 million for services rendered, right? For usurping democracy in the largest country in Europe, in the heart of Europe, right? So that guy, all of a sudden, who made all this money, by the way, but was still in debt to oligarchs, you know, and we all know he has a taste for, you know, python leather suits or whatever kind of like crazy crap an idiot like that spends his money on you know because that's the other thing is these guys are always so like gaudy that they just spend their money on just stupid crap you know it's like the people who go to casinos and buy the 500 jeans in the casino shop you know with the stitching on the back pocket and think they look cool you know hey look at his von dutch shirt it's bedazzled you know it's like a fool and his money will soon be parted, right? But when you have 
that amount of money and that amount of corruption, it becomes dangerous. So Paul Manafort, this guy who's still in debt, decides he will work for Trump's campaign pro bono, right? They brought him in a mere weeks before the GOP convention. He comes into work for free. And what's the first thing they do? They remove all the language in the GOP charter, the platform that has to do with defending Ukraine against Russian rebels and invaders, right? The Russian army and the resistance, you know, that had sort of been, been crying the same propaganda that they're spewing now, you know, that they were taking back Ukraine and Crimea and stuff, right? All the language that was pro-democracy and pro-doing the right thing and pro-the United States defending a sovereign, dedicated, you know, democratic nation, you know, that was a miracle in, in that part of the world for, for getting away from the Soviet Union in the first place and Russia, right? The first thing they did was remove that language on behalf of Donald Trump and the GOP got a short memory and went along with it. Even though every intelligence analyst said that was the wrong thing to do, most of the GOP folks that sat on intelligence committees and foreign relations committees knew it was the wrong thing to do, but they acquiesced immediately because the corruption was greater than any morality they might've had. Right. And they were more concerned with beating Hillary Clinton, who they didn't really think they were going to beat. And they knew if they beat her, they'd be in trouble. And Putin certainly knew he would be in trouble if Hillary Clinton became president because she didn't go easy on him. Right. He feared her. Trump, he had in his back pocket. Trump was a clown who would write him fan letters. Do you know what happens when you write a fan letter to somebody like Putin? He owns you before you even meet him. You know, and that story in Moscow, when they went there, you know, Keith Schiller tries to say, oh, I just hung out outside of his door for a few minutes and, and went back to my room after they offered us offer, offered us prostitutes. Like that isn't how that gig works. First of all, if you're somebody's body man, you sit outside of his door all night long. OK, I got guys who have to do that for rock stars and hip hop stars and stuff. They sit on a chair outside the dude's door. Right. So there's no way Keith Schiller just left and there's no way Trump didn't partake of the services offered, as I've covered many times before. But uh, the point I'm making is there was already compromise in place. Trump was already a willing supplicant to authoritarianism and a fanboy of dictators. Right. And, and his whole world was always that toxic masculinity stuff. As I said, you know, they'd have bikers, you know, and Chuck Zito and all these tough guys, you know, Keith Schiller's a tough guy. He was an NYPD rammer before he was Trump's security guard. His job was to knock down the doors when they did drug raids up in the Bronx. He would knock down the door with a big steel pole when the guys would go in and, you know, shoot the drug dealers and take all the kilos. <laughs> and that guy in doing that job somehow decided he needed to work for Donald Trump. You know, <laughs> my theory is a little product got confiscated that might not have been had Trump had somebody on the inside because there was a lot of cocaine being sold in Trump Tower. And that's not hyperbole. That's a fact. You know, you've heard me talk about his pilot before got busted, his helicopter pilot for running a bunch of keys up to Ohio. And then he got his court case transferred to Trump's sister's district in North Jersey and basically got off with a slap on the wrist. I think 13 months in Danbury, got out of prison and immediately got a condo in Trump Tower and went back in business. OK, and this is all years before Keith Schiller came on the scene. But Keith Schiller 
came up to Trump because he saw him one day in court, because Trump, of course, was involved in 4,000 lawsuits before he became president, which would have been a red flag in any normal <laughs> society, right? But Keith Schiller walked up to him and said, you need to hire me. I need to work for you. You know, and Trump took him on on a part-time basis and, and saw that Keith was, in fact, correct. And then Keith retired from the NYPD as a sergeant, I believe, and became Trump's, you know, full-time enforcer. And that's also the guy who delivered the letter to fire Jim Comey. And then, obviously, the special prosecutor was assigned. And the first thing Trump did in that moment was send Keith Schiller out of D.C. He brought Keith Schiller to D.C. with him. Keith Schiller would stand outside the Oval Office and you didn't get to Trump unless you got past Keith, right? Trump needed Keith, but he knew once, once there was an independent you know, investigation, once Mueller became on the scene, came on the scene, the first thing he did was send Keith Schiller <laughs> out of DC, get out of here. And the, and the RNC gave him a $15,000 a month stipend to keep quiet as a security consultant. And you've never heard from him again. You know, and that's the guy who knows where the bodies are buried. He knows all the victims that got paid off that that Trump, you know, attacked because he's a sexual predator, which was also no secret in New York City. But my point is, you don't think Putin knows all of this stuff. You don't think he had this all sewed up neatly in a ball. And he did. That's why Trump went along with him every chance he got. And when he got busted for it, right, for the call with Zelensky, and you had an impeachment hearing and you had Ambassador Taylor, Bill Taylor, up there on Capitol Hill saying some real damning stuff about Trump's actions in Ukraine, not just his call. But remember when he, he, he fired Marie Abrana, Ab, Abramovich? Abra, I, I'm, I'm terrible with these kind of names. You know who I'm talking about. You know, when you heard the, the tape of him sitting around his restaurant in the hotel in D.C. of Trump and he's like, get rid of her. You know, just do it. Get rid of her. That's mob boss Trump. He knows what he's doing. And she had to get a call from a colleague saying your life is in danger. Right. An American ambassador's life was in danger because the president was on to the fact that she was investigating corruption and that was going to hurt his political chances in the upcoming election. So her life was threatened and she had to flee a country, a career, you know, foreign affairs person. You don't just you don't just pick those kind of people up, you know? They don't just get out of college and have those skills. Those skills are something we invest in as a nation. Right? You know, that that's squandering our capital, our human capital and our intellectual capital and experience. And how much better would the situation be in Ukraine if that woman had stayed on her job, right? This all goes to the destabilization and attack on that country that Trump enabled, right? So Bill Taylor testifies it's damning to Trump and Trump freaks out. And what does he do? He yells at all his little stooges in the GOP that they're not fighting hard enough for him. They're not protecting him. So the very next day, as Schiff is having a committee hearing in the skiff with a Pentagon official about Ukraine policy, and it's so sensitive and top secret and classified, it needs to be in the skiff, which is a room in the basement of the Capitol where, you know, there's no electronic devices allowed and nobody can eavesdrop. And, you know, it's, it's where you say stuff you don't want anybody else to hear. Right. So as 
Schiff is having that hearing, Lenny and Squiggy, right? Matt Getz and little Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise and Steve King and a couple other dudes storm the skiff. And they go into the room with their cell phones and start making calls and breaching the security. And then they order a freaking pizza like they're Jeff Spicoli and sit there and eat it like it's a joke. Matt gets a sexual predator coke hound, right? And of course, Schiff has to cancel the thing, you know? They're disrupting the process of government and investigating corruption in a country that now two years later is being leveled day and night by a brutal dictator that Trump was kissing his ass from day one. Think about that. And think about those agents of chaos, those GOP men that storm that skiff. You know, one of them, Matt Getz, is under investigation. If he was a black guy, he would have been in jail about eight months ago. Let's be honest. Okay, but he's a white boy. His dad was one-time president of the Florida Senate, state Senate. He's a rich guy, well-connected. Matt Getz is a punk, right? Obviously, he's on under investigation, whatever the hell that means these days, right? For paying for, for sex, you know, with, with underage girls, you know, and doing drugs with them and stuff. And, and, and I'll tell you about that because Matt Getz was the kind of guy Trump would have around because that was Trump's M.O. He would invite guys around. He'd have big parties in the plaza and get all his business associates there and dudes that needed building permits and lawyers and stuff, you know, and he'd have a big party and he'd bring all his Trump model management girls up there. You know, these Eastern European girls that, again, he was sort of pilfering from that part of the country and taking advantage and offering, you know, modeling contracts to if they came to America. And then they'd get here and he'd throw them in an apartment you know, in the East Village with six girls in a room and bunk beds and no AC in July and charge them 2000 bucks a month rent and say they had to pay off their visa fees and stuff and take their passports. OK, it was freaking human trafficking. And if you want to read more about that, Lucy Osborne has done some good reporting in The Guardian about the look model of the year contest. I've talked about that before. I won't digress too far into that. But so Trump needed a steady, steady supply of underage girls and models, right, to get compromise on his friends. When he became president, that became harder. So he needed cutouts to do that. Matt Getz was one of those guys. If you'll remember, another GOP congressman talked about how Matt Getz showed him pictures on the floor you know, of the House of Congress in Capitol Hill showed him pictures that Matt had of like young, you know, girls on his phone. Right. And the guy was like, don't ever show me that again and walked away. Matt was doing that because he's looking for the guys that would be like, oh, I'll take some of that. That looks pretty good. Matt would be like, hey, I can hook you up. What are you doing Friday? We're having a little party at Trump's hotel. You know, and then you show up there and you have a little scotch and nobody's going to know. Let's do a bump or two. And hey, I think Tiffany there likes you. And, you know, you know what happens next. And Trump's taping the whole thing. If you don't think that's how Trump works, you don't know Trump. That is how he works. And that's how a lot of things work. And that's how Putin works <laughs> and has worked forever. Right. So these little weasels, these treason weasels that were being Trump's pimps and consigliaries, the men that are still walking free. We're enabling, you know, the lack of defense of a democratic nation, of our ally. They were setting the stage for Putin to do exactly what he's doing right now. 
right? And what are those men doing? They're still disrupting it. And now there's more of them because we had an election in 2020 and QAnon came on the scene, which Mike Flynn funded, right? Mike Flynn, another rapscallion who was brought in. I don't even know if that's a word. I just wanted to say it. (laughs) But Mike Flynn's another one of those guys who came in right when Manafort came in, right? Once they realized Trump was going to get the nom, they got every corrupt person they could find and said, this is going to be a goddamn feeding frenzy. Who has connections overseas? Who has connections in Saudi Arabia? Who has connections with Russia? Who knows Deripaska, right? And they already knew people like Mitch McConnell and stuff were already Rand Paul. These guys were already in deep because the Soviet Union had been spreading money around D.C. through lobbying firms for decades, right? Since 1990. Okay. So those same men that are walking free now are now tweeting out Putin's talking points, right? And now you have more of them because you had the QAnon wave, right? And I don't even have time to get into like Mike Flynn, you know, and Comey getting busted, right? Comey goes after Flynn. Trump tries to tell him to, to go easy on him, right? Comey doesn't. Trump fires Comey and then brags about it with Sergey Lavrov in the Oval Office. This is in February of 17. This guy's only been there for weeks and he's doing that. He's bringing Russians into the Oval Office that had never set foot in there. It was Lavrov and another big Russian ambassador. And we all know the picture of them slapping backs and laughing and Trump looking like a little toady stooge, you know, looking at them with awe because these were more powerful men than him. These were men that had something he always desired, the power of life over death, you know, and unlimited resources. And that's the deal that Putin offered to Trump. Like, you're going to take over democracy and we're going to set it up like I have it set up here, where you're going to be in charge and all the money is going to come through you and you're going to pick your oligarchs and they will prosper And the rest of the country, you will manipulate with this Christian nationalism, tough guy BS that these people, you know, fall for that Trump would love to act out because he just loves that shit. You know, he was like that on The Apprentice. He'd walk into an after party with like all of his like security guys around him and try to like part the room like he was president. And we're like, dude, we just saw you 10 minutes ago with freaking Carrot Top on stage. (laughs) Like, we're not impressed, you know, but they basically like, I'm surprised they didn't have a fucking bugle or something that they played before he walked in the room. Like the dude is a psychopath who literally wanted to be a king, right? So when Putin offered these guys, here's the deal, you know, we're going to do it on this business model and you get a piece of everything that comes through the country, unlimited power. And all the pomp and circumstance, you know, that toxic masculinity and misogynist, you know, patriarchal, you know, fiefdoms can give you, that was irresistible to Trump. And it was irresistible to all these suck ups around him. And then a new generation of guys, you know, Madison Cawthorn, MTG or whatever the hell her name is, you know, Bobert. You know, these guys are psychopaths. Nobody's investing them, investigating them, right? They all got elected and now they're the chaos agents. Madison Cawthorn called Zelensky a punk this week or a thug. He called him a thug and said the Ukrainian people are evil. 
This is a kid who was homeschooled, who worked at Chick-fil-A and did a semester at college, right? Less than a semester. And when he left, 150 of his former students signed a letter saying this guy's a sexual predator and he should not be in public office. And that was half the school. It's like Patrick Henry College. They have 300 students. So when half the people in your school call you a rapist, you're probably a rapist, right? Because what he would do is he'd get these girls in his Dodge Challenger and he'd say, you want to go on a fun ride, a joy ride? And he'd drive them to some secluded place and, and you know, feel them up, try to attack them. And, and the couple like corroborated instances where these girls fought back and were like, no, I'm not into that. He'd get all pissed off and then drive 90 miles an hour back to campus through these roads. And he just got busted twice for driving, you know, for speeding, you know, on a license that was already revoked, you know, little Dukes of Hazard driving around North Carolina, rage driving. And let's not even get into the fact that his accident happened because he and his buddy were switching seats as the car was going down the road to save time and get home, coming back from spring break in Florida. Okay. And then they fell asleep. The driver fell asleep. They hit a Jersey wall. The car burst into flames. Maddie had his legs up on the dashboard, got paralyzed. The car's in flames. His buddy pulls him out of a burning car, right? Saves his life. And what does he do? He sues his friend for $30 million. The guy who saved his life. And then that lawsuit wasn't going to go anywhere. So he got that guy involved to sue his insurance company that had already given him $3 million. And now he has another lawsuit. So that's two bad faith lawsuits. You know, this kid's 24 at this point, right? He's 24 when he runs for Congress. He's 26 now. Two bad faith lawsuits, no educational skills, tells his constituency that Jesus saved him, not his friend, that Jesus pulled him out of the flames. He was dead and resurrected by the blood of Jesus, right? That's the kind of shit they eat up in North Carolina. Oh, good Lord. He looks like half a Tom Brady and he's touched by Jesus. He has my vote right? Chaos agent, married for eight months, getting divorced now, eight months. You know how he met his wife? He lied and said he was at a casino in St. Petersburg, which I don't believe there's really many casinos in St. Petersburg, but he said a ferry on a European vacation. This is after he met, went to Hitler's vacation home and took a selfie and called him the Fuhrer, right? This is what he's spending the money he got from these bad faith lawsuits, you know? goes on a European vacation and meets a dude in a casino, which nobody's ever been able to track down. And that guy's like, hey, I work with CrossFit. You're pretty buff, dude. You should come. We're doing a semester, you know, a seminar in Miami. You should come to CrossFit Miami. Madison shows up there, right? And the guy's like, yeah, actually, I don't really need you to work out or anything. I wanted to introduce you to this girl. And Madison meets the girl, marries the girl. They spend eight months together and now are getting, you know, divorced for irreconcilable <laughs> differences. That's espionage. That's cutouts. That's how you find people like this. Russia has a lot of information. They know a little jack weasel in Redneckistan Hill Country of North Carolina who has a story like that, you know, and looks like Aryan youth that you 
uh, I'll just stop. <laughs> okay. The guy looks like porn that you would jerk off to if you're into like Nazi porn or something. Right. So he fits the bill. Every picture he's in, he's holding a gun. Right. It's just MAGA 101. Right. But he's dangerous. It's not a joke. And I'm leaving out all the Mark Meadows connections. Mark Meadows is the guy who really handed him career, signed off on his college recommendation letter, gave him a sort of like internship, which apparently was nothing, but it, it, it allowed Madison to say he had worked on Capitol Hill and all this kind of stuff. Mark Meadows is in deep with all that stuff. Mark Meadows is one of these guys I'm talking about who helped Trump, you know, work on behalf of Putin. And let's not also mention when Mark Meadows was White House chief of staff, he knew that Trump had tested positive for COVID and he let him go into the first debate with Biden anyway, as did Trump's family. That's freaking biological warfare, right? He knows he's debating a guy who's, you know, 79 years old or whatever, who's standing 10 feet away from him. He knows he's got a deadly virus and he carries it into the room without a mask and his family does the same thing. Mark Meadows knew all about that didn't step up and do it. And by the way, Mark Meadows, they found out, is registered at a trailer he's never been to in North Carolina. That's where his voter registration is, right? But it's like the rules don't apply and people don't have the strength to, to, to follow all the details. And you have to. You have to look at the big picture here because it all weaves together. And it all weaves into a basket that turns into a trap. And they put the lid on it and you're a snake inside of a basket and you have no power. You're just coiled up in fear. And that's what they want because they can control you. You're portable at that point. You're defanged. And that's what they're essentially doing. They're defanging democracy through these cutouts, through people like Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson is on Russian propaganda TV every night. They play his clips is well-produced clips, okay? Those things are shot in a studio. It costs millions of dollars to produce that kind of content with the chirons and with the sound and with the visuals. It makes it look legit. And it's a product that's purveyed by a billionaire, Rupert Murdoch, who does not have America's best interest at heart, okay? He's sitting in on, on his own super yacht. He's an oligarch. Right. All the oligarchs aren't Russians, by the way. Koch brothers are oligarchs. Sackler families, oligarchs. Mercer's oligarchs. Jeff Bezos, oligarch. Right. Elon Musk, oligarch plus. Right. Because that guy's a bond villain on top of it. OK. Right. But it plays into Putin's hands to have content like that, that they can play on Russian TV every night. And that's what they're doing. You know, and that. How are we stopping all the other countries from doing business in Russia, which we should be doing, right? But if Boeing can't send a part there, send a part there to fix a plane, why is Tucker Carlson and Rupert Murdoch allowed to make this product that costs millions of dollars to produce that they wouldn't let you just put up on YouTube for free? Because they'd say, hey, that's my intellectual property. You can't use that. That's worth money. But somehow we look the other way when that product is freely distributed in Russia at a time where everything else is shut down. You follow what I'm saying? That's a financial transaction. 
And it's an ideological transaction that's working against not only the best interests of the United States and Ukraine, but the entire free world. And we're letting these men smugly do it, just like we're letting the guys get away with January 6th at this point. And I don't want to get into that debate that everybody's like, oh, just, you know, there's some positive signs this week. You know, Merrick Garland gave an interview and, you know, basically people smarter than me say it sounds like they're going after Trump and God bless them if they are. And please do. But please understand time is not on our side, which is like if I preach anything, that's what it's been this whole time, because here we are. This is what I was talking about. I always feared Trump would start World War III, and I believe he did. It just started late, right? Started a year after he left office, but it's the same effect, you know? And, and we're not, I'm just talking about the political stuff and the stuff that gets me angry, because that's something I can address. I can at least speak out on Twitter. You know, I, I can try to make some, some comedic satire about very serious points that I want people to not forget about and think about, right? But otherwise, I feel powerless like the rest of you guys do. You know, these images are beyond haunting. It's like living through World War II. It's like, you know, we, we've all seen these images our whole lives. And you always tell yourself, man, if I was there, I would have done whatever I could to stop it. And now it's happening, you know, and we're doing a lot but we're not stopping it, right? And we have to watch, you know, watching elderly people traverse blown up bridges in the snow, carrying their possessions and their pet in their hands makes you weep. It's cruelty on a scale that I've never seen in my lifetime. Human suffering, you know, they bombed a maternity ward this week. We all saw that. That's sick stuff. And that's the kind of stuff that Putin gets off on. And that's the kind of stuff that Trump gets off on. Trump is a fucking sadist. I don't say that lightly. I'm not going to get into all that, but go read the 13-year-old girl's account of what happened at Jeffrey Epstein's house with Trump, and you'll get an idea who he is. And that was the MO on Trump that people knew about, especially Putin. So when people talk about pee, it's not pee, it's blood. Okay. Trump's a sick MF. Okay. So he doesn't care. The GOP doesn't care. They're not weeping for these elderly people that are getting bombed and these young people that are having their futures destroyed and these beautiful, beautiful historic cities that are being raised. I mean, God forbid they start bombing Odessa this week. I don't know if many of you have ever seen Odessa. I mean, that's a, a world treasure. As every thing in the world is a treasure. Every human being, every flower, every plant, every animal has equal value, right? But our system has been thwarted and corrupted by so much greed and so much money that sometimes you have to stand around when evil happens because you're like, well, we can't start World War III. We're kind of in World War III, you know? World War III might have started when Trump got elected. You know, Putin's not going to stop in Ukraine if we don't stop him now. You know, we learned after Columbine where they sat outside because they didn't know what to do. And the kids continued killing inside that we'll never do that again. We'll run in and we stop the active shooter. That changed the whole game and how law enforcement approached active shooters. 
because it was too high a cost to pay knowing these children were slaughtered. So now the first people to show up run in guns a blazing, you know? That's what we needed to do here. You know, Putin's kind of calling our bluff and I'm not taking the matter of nuclear war lightly, okay? But they got like three or four reactors. Two of them are offline now to the power grid. What happens when those cooling units don't have electricity? And the freaking spent rods that are full of radiation melt down their surroundings and leak into the atmosphere, in the ground, in the forest. What happens when they light the forest on fire around Chernobyl and all that radioactive smoke starts blowing east or blowing west? Right? We're already in a terrible situation. We're in one of those hostage situations, you know, where you need the sniper to show up and take Putin out. Because it's not going to stop until that madman is stopped. And one thing we can do, right? If we can't close the skies and we can't directly confront Putin, we can confront the people in this country that are making it easier for him to do their job. It's not a matter of free speech. Free speech has its limitations. And when you start dropping bombs on babies and you're enabling that, it's time to shut up. So we can stop these people. We can't just accept it and we can't just share it and share the outrage on social media. I know we have to do that. You know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We all do that, me more than anybody, right? I've been on Twitter 14 hours a day since this thing started. <laughs> and it wasn't like I was a light smoker, so to speak, beforehand. You know, I'm a two-pack day man, you know? <laughs> and now I'm, you know, not, I don't really smoke anymore, folks. That was a metaphor for Twitter, but it's an addiction. It's the same type of thing because you get a little bump off it. You get a little hit off it, you know? But uh, just sharing in the misery without talking about what we need to do is, is not getting the whole picture. So we need to get the whole picture here. And, and I'm happy that people are smart people are speaking out. David Rothkoff has followed me for a long time as I've followed him. I'm just always mentioning when smart people like that follow me because it still surprises me, but he's getting it. He's, he's, he wrote a thread Saturday morning that said the same sort of thing I, I've been saying. You know, you got to look at these connections. I know people get burnt out on, on, on all of what went down. And I know that Trump was able to obfuscate Russia is a hoax. It's a hoax. And Bill Barr helped him more than anybody who's got a number six bestseller on Amazon now, thanks to NBC, ABC, CNN et al. that just gave him pre free press all week and didn't challenge him when they lied to their face. I'll do a whole episode on Bill Barr sometime because that dude is a scumbag's scumbag. Okay. He got Elliot Abrams off for the massacre at El Mazote. If people don't know what that is, look it up. I've given you enough darkness in this episode, but look it up. <laughs> you see what kind of men these are. They only care about their own avarice, their own venality, right? And they couch it in these religious terms. Bill Barr's Opus Dei, right? Those are the creepiest Catholic-like weirdos you'll ever meet. Kudlow's one of those guys too. He was Jewish and then became Catholic. <laughs> Opus Dei, he's my old neighbor too. And he, he was a drug addict and a drunk you know, who also relapsed and showed up drunk on Sunday morning talk shows during the administration and then instantly went to Fox business, didn't miss a paycheck, 
You know, these guys destroy the planet, they destroy democracy, they destroy peace, and they keep getting paid. And we let them out of weakness, out of saying, oh, it's free speech. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to do something. You better do something because you won't have free speech if they get their way. If Mr. Bill Barr and Opus Dei have their way, you're not going to have free speech. You don't have freedom of religion. You don't have freedom of lifestyle choices. Look how many states this week came out against LGBTQ families, trans children with laws that they can arrest the parents. That's insane. It's like happened at three or four states at once. And that's not on accident. This is all happening when we're on our heels, so to speak, dealing with this international situation, with this war, with this invasion, right? There's a reason they say it's go time. These guys get the order from Putin and stuff. Now's your time. You know, Ron DeSantis, who spearheads a lot of this stuff, is dripping in Russian cash. He won't do anything to criticize Russia because South Miami is where they launder all their cash now, besides London, you know, but in the US, especially since Trump's out in New York, that's where the, that's where the game is. That's where the tables are hot, right? It's a game to these men. It's about their own power and they're willing to torture Americans at home because you're torturing a family if you're, if you're punishing them for the way their children are born. And if you as a state are discouraging people from living their truth, you don't understand the fundamentals of civility and government. We're here to protect everybody. So everybody can live free the way they want to live. That's what real freedom is, is that I protect you to be who you need to be. As long as you're not hurting somebody else, it's none of my business. And God bless you for living your truth. And diversity is what makes this place beautiful. You know, when I was a kid, all I knew was gay people. I knew straight people too, but my mom's a lesbian and her friends were all gay men and gay men and women and transvestites. I have a friend who trans, not, transvestites the wrong word, trans, transgender. See, I'm 50, 51 next week. I have, you know, we all can learn and get better. I don't mean to offend anybody and using like outdated nomenclature to describe people, but I have a friend who transitioned. I've talked about this before. And I sat with him the night before he was going into his office. He was, I won't say his business, but he was a professional in Manhattan. Okay. And he'd worked at the same firm for like 20 years as a man. And he was going in, you know, after a year of this process that I saw, you know, I saw him go through these stages of accepting who he was and finding the courage to bring that truth into the light a little more and a little more. It's a beautiful thing to watch. It's a privilege to be a part of as a human being. If somebody trusts you enough to share that journey, it's a wonderful thing to hold up in somebody's life and help elevate. It'll make you richer. It'll make you deeper. It'll make your heart big. It'll make your ability to love and understand and feel empathy for other human beings expand. And that's what we want to do. We're here for expansiveness. You have one job. You're here to love and be present and not harm anything. Right? So I saw my friend. I sat with him the night before he had to go into his office where he'd walked in every day for 20 years as a man. 
He took a leave and transitioned and he was going to walk in there that next morning. Who he really was, who he was deciding he was. That was courage like I'd never seen. That, you know, that took balls. <laughs> I'm still a comedian. Sorry. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? That was gutsy, man. It was badass. Why do you not want that? Why do you not want diversity in Texas? You know, it's already there. Like why, you don't think there's gay people in Texas? I know some awesome, awesome gay hangouts in Houston, Austin. My first sponsor is a gay man, saved my life. You know, like it's 2022. Why are we letting these people try to drag us into the dark ages? I thought we got past that crap, right? But it's these culture wars. It's a way to keep, their base distracted, right? Because they've already brainwashed them with Fox News, right? And mega churches and the idea that Jesus would be walking around with an AR-15 shooting immigrants, you know, out of his giant pickup truck, <laughs> right? They've already sort of like prepped the crowd for the next level of this con. And it's these draconian laws, you know, and it's these little gin blisters like Lindsey Graham, who've never had the courage to live their own truth, you know, come out drunk on Fox News every night and spew hatred. You know, Bill Barr, dude's dad was a child molester, man, hired Jeffrey Epstein to teach at Dalton, even though he didn't have a college degree. <laughs> okay. Like these are, these are not people without their own skeletons in their closets, right? But they want to tell other people how to live so they can keep control and power over them and deliver that power to the same sort of like corrupt white patriarchy that's been in charge for too long, that screwed everything up. You know, and, and Putin is like white guy, right? Nationalist, Christian, you know, nationalism in Russia. You think if Putin was Middle Eastern, you know, or like an African warlord or something, we would have the same reticence to do anything about it. Do you think if it was Iran in the same situation, we'd be like, yeah, we're absolutely never going to attack them or engage them, <laughs> right? You think we would be that way? Or do you think we're going a little more easy because Putin is, like it or not, the established leader of a country that we get oil from, that generates a lot of cash, that gets spent in law firms, you know, and on real estate and on services and on yachts and diamonds and all kinds of blingy crap that we sell, right? Madison Avenue exists for Russian oligarchs' daughters now and the Kardashians, right? Nobody else is buying that crap. You go out to the Hamptons now, it's Bulgar, Bulgar, you know, it's, uh, I can't think of the name, all these designers, but it's like Euro Trashville. And I know that's an offensive term. I'm sorry. It's just like, I, I mean it like the, you know, the Hamptons have changed, you know, all this wealth that's in these one percenters. And it's not like the Hamptons was ever <laughs> not a wealthy person's playground, but it's this next level. You know, it's like, who, who wants the $4,000 handbag when they're on vacation? Nantucket is like that now. You know, these places that were once sort of old conservative wealth 
have gone for this gaudy super yacht, you know, Birkin bag, you know, just blingy crap, right? So Putin, you know, funded a lot of that kind of stuff. He generated a lot of wealth that got spread around the world, right? If it was a country that was more insular, as I said, and didn't have a white guy running it, do you think he would be given the amount of deference that Putin is given? Or it would be easier to sell the fact, to sell people on the fact like this guy's a madman and we need to do something about it, right? That's just a question I'm raising. But you got to think about the answer, you know? And you got to think about why we're unwilling to confront these guys at home that are making it easier for a guy like this to do this, you know, and it's only going to get worse. You know, I, I, I fear for what the next days are going to bring in terms of imagery on TV, not for myself, but I fear for the world and what that's going to do. You know, I think we're already past a point where we're going to regret some of the choices we've made. And I'm not saying I have the answers and I'm not saying it's not miraculous what we have done, you know, because we have shut down Russia and their economy. And by the way, you know, that's a good thing because we got to do all we can to stop Putin and to, to get him to stop this attack and this invasion. But it's also another humanitarian thing that we haven't looked at yet is what's going to happen to all these people in Russia, because they're not all bad guys that are in in this. There's a lot of brainwashed people, but it's like this country. There's a lot of people showing a lot of bravery and protesting against this and standing up to him and bravo to them. Let's not demonize all Russians. OK, some of the greatest art this world has ever seen came out of Russia, some of the greatest literature. You know, I heard about a symphony that wasn't going to do Tchaikovsky because it's a Russian. What? Swan Lake is one of the most sublimely beautiful pieces of music you will ever hear in your life. If that doesn't bring tears to your eyes, that's humanity. That shows us what we are. Don't block out the good stuff because you're mad at the bad stuff. Okay. But we also need to think about what's going to happen to those people in Russia, because they're going to get desperate and they're going to get hungry. And they're going to get crazy in their isolation. Right. It's not good to cut things off from the world. We all need to live in community. That's what makes us feel connected and keeps us accountable to our fellow man. And you, when you become a state like North Korea or something, you, and you don't even know what's going on inside of the place, it's terrifying. So we need to keep that in our minds too. You know, what's going to happen to this massively huge nation when Putin declares martial law, right? And that's going to be another problem. So, you know, should we be considering that? Should we be intervening on behalf of the Russians themselves? who are heading down a perilous track that the world has not seen yet. We don't know what it looks like when you cut people off completely in a globalized society and economy. We, we haven't seen that before. You know, we're all in uncharted water here. Okay. And that's probably the best metaphor I could make. You know, if we had all just escaped a sinking ocean liner, right. And we're in a little lifeboat. And we're like, thank God we lived through that. Let's go freaking row till we find an island, right? 
and a couple of guys kept trying to saw holes in the bottom of your lifeboat, you'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, we just escaped a sinking ship. Why are you making it easier? That's what the GOP is doing. That's what they're doing when they attack Biden over gas prices and try to blame it on him. You know, that's a shamelessness we haven't seen before and a cynicism. And it's just frankly disgusting. But it's the same way they manipulate their base. God, guns and gasoline. That's not your birthright. You shouldn't have been driving a car that gets 15 miles to the gallon anyway. You know, Europeans have been paying higher gas prices for decades. As I've said many times, we've been spoiled. It's not our right to get a $2 gallon of gas. It's destroying the planet. It's only been here for freaking over, a little over 100 years. You know, this planet's been around for millions, billions. You want to survive? Find another way to get to work. You know, ride a bicycle. All those European cities are gorgeous. And they're, they're, they're populated with people that ride bikes to work. Obviously, America, you know, we can't do that. But we set up America after World War II with a system of highways and roads and suburbs. And thought it was this awesome thing because you were paying a nickel for a gallon of gas, you know, in a car that was 50 feet long and got four miles a gallon, right? It was a different world. You got to adapt. It's nice to ride a bike to work. It's nice to take public transportation. You know, when I tore it over Japan, I was there with Crosby, Stills and Nash. We took bullet trains. You get on a train in Tokyo, you're in Osaka in a couple of hours. You go 800 miles, you know, like crazy stuff that's badass and fun to participate on. And those trains are a trip because like when it pulls up, you got to get right in or it takes off. <laughs> it only like stops for a second. It's not like Amtrak where the dudes walk up and down like all aboard, you know, and you get 10 minutes to kiss your wife goodbye. This is like get on. I, I think I threw Stephen Stills into one of the cars one time, you know, because those guys, it was like, you know, it's like herding cats sometimes you know but you get on this train and then you you get out and you're in another city wouldn't it be great to do that wouldn't it be great to go do a gig in chicago and get on a train and get there in three hours from new york you know so and that's one of the challenges ahead of us and the same people that are bitching about the gasoline were the same people that shut down the infrastructure bill mansion and these guys that are owned by american oligarchs the Koch brothers right the guys who process petroleum and refine it, who built their fortune because their father did it for Stalin. Okay, that's where the Koch brothers' empire started. Was their father taking technology he'd stolen from another scientist, how you break down the crude oil, and Russia has really crappy grade of crude oil, right? So it, it requires a process to like crack it. You know, I think that's a technical term and you can be refined and usable and sellable, right? But it's like, it's crappy stuff. It's not like what comes out of the Permian Basin. You know, it's not the good stuff, right? It's dirt weed, as we would say, <laughs> as stoners, you know? But that's where the guy learned his, his skills and his trade, you know? And then he came to the US and then his sons got involved in the business. And then his son saw when Carter was president, that this country was leaning towards renewable energy, that Carter was like solar power, you know? We need to do this. And that's 
coincidentally, when those guys got really involved in funding things like, you know, John Birch Society, you know, Federalist Society, right? All these think tanks started sprouting up. You know, they started funding speakers to go into college campuses and turn more people conservative. And then it became an industry, you know? And then Murdoch said, I want some of that. Rupert Murdoch said, I want some of that. If I can marry that conservative thought with the NASCAR NFL red state America, that's a cash cow. And that's where we ended up, right? That's where we're at. So you got to think of it all in the big picture because it's all related, you know? It's all the same animal. And you got to find the things that aren't working and what's motivating them and what's funding them. And you got to do everything you can to stop it and become aware of it. All right. So that's enough for this week. Thanks for letting me talk. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you liked last week with Kat. I'm going to have her back maybe next weekend before she goes to Italy. And, uh, you know, once again, uh, come and see me live. I promise there's jokes. I'm going to be at the city winery in Philadelphia on june 8th it's a wednesday night and on the 7th i'm going to be in new york city at the city winery loft so a couple chances to see me on the east coast coming up i'll keep telling you about it check me out on twitter noelcastler.com you can always get a t-shirt but uh just you know stay safe do what you can love love those around you appreciate what you have you know and keep praying for peace we'll see you next week this was episode 54 bye